Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 48. This week, we talk with Lori Lalonde about women in tech and integrating voice into your applications, replacing Photoshop with a string, and updates on Windows 10 and the new Spartan browser. Today, we have Lori Lalonde. She is a Windows platform MVP. She wrote a book on Windows phone development. She is Xamarin certified, Microsoft certified. She is a conference speaker in the US and Canada. She's also a blogger and a user group leader. Welcome, Lori. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Carl. So what's up? Not a whole lot this week. Uh, OK, just just getting over a cold. So if you hear that in my voice, that's why. Yeah, this, the second I called Carl, he said like, hello. And I was like, Carl, are you sick? <laughs> He's like, you can tell. Yeah, I can. I can definitely tell a difference. Uh, let's see, Carl, do we have uh, listener feedback? Um, we actually had a former uh, guest of the show. Uh, she she retweeted out a a quote of mine um, from the episode that we had with uh, Lindsay Garrity. Okay. Uh, oh, was that she, Jess? No, no, that was Trish. Oh, okay. So, Trish. Okay. So Trish, she really liked the quote uh, when I was talking about the HTC One uh, mm-hmm. and the lack of a hero phone right now. Um, my quote was, "I need a hero phone. It's just who I am and what I want." Okay. <laughs> Very cool. So, so you, yeah. Anything yeah. else? No, I just said that we really appreciate it. Um, there's been a lot of people, you know, retweeting that they like the show, um, you know, just very small things like that. That really helps just get the word about out about us. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, do, it does help people find the show. And honestly, at this point, I mean, you and I have been retweeting like everything. Re- the, if anybody mentions the show. So until it gets too out of hand, we can keep doing that. But if you if you put a tweet out there, most likely we're going to retweet it. Um, and if you want to let us know something about the show, if you want to send feedback, send it to feedback at msdevshow.com. You can also comment on our Facebook page. Um, and another great place to leave a review or to comment is on iTunes. We really appreciate those because that really helps spread the the news about the show. Okay, let's jump into the news. So we got uh, we got a couple things here. The first one is, uh, I thought this was kind of interesting. It was replacing Photoshop with NS string. And NS string is the uh, the string... Um, on the iOS and, 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 uh, Mac platform. Did you get a chance to look at this one, Carl? Yeah. I thought this was kind of cool. And, yeah. and, and I'll agree in a, in a lot of platforms, sometimes if you just want to draw a few just simple lines or circles or something, I mean, there's a surprising amount of code depending upon which, you know, uh, platform you're on or, you know, yeah. w- which SDK you're, you're using. And, and he was like, well, let's see if I can create something that's kind of like advanced ASCII art. Mm-hmm. And just have that be able to render into, you know, kind of a path and fill system. Yeah. When I first looked at this, I'm like, man, what are you doing? And then I, I started reading about like why he was doing it and the actual implementation. I'm like, okay, this is pretty awesome because it's just for these, it's typically for these like simple icons. So yeah, you're, you're literally just defining, um, you know, you're drawing some ASCII art in your code and that gets translated into a little icon, an actual vector image. It was actually, it seemed like a really good solution to the problem. And even looking through the comments, I mean, everybody was like, yeah, this, this is pretty clever. This is a good idea. So yeah. uh, I, I thought it was pretty cool. And, you know, he even showed that you can do some pretty advanced things with it. Yeah. And, and really go all out. Um, not that he recommended that, but, you know, just showed that th- this was a very simple system and just used, you know, uh, consecutive numbers and letters. And using that, it was able to make a pretty uh, detailed, you know, icons. Yeah, it's a vector image and it's anti-aliased. I mean, what more could you ask for? Okay. And you, and you don't have to write code for it. Exactly. Well, unless you can consider the string code, but yeah. 
Okay, so what's going on with Spartan? Yeah, uh, this this was actually something that uh, was kind of interesting because uh, you know Microsoft this week reiterated and updated its uh, position on what will uh, browser-wise ship with Windows 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in a nutshell, uh, Spartan will be all the latest greatest. It quote unquote the modern web. So mm-hmm. if any new or very popular site that's out there, it'll run on Spartan, no problem. If you have a website that's older or you have an internet app or something that's just, you know, it's hard, it's married to IE8 or some version of, you know, IE, um, that's what Internet Explorer will be there for. Um, they'll be side by side. And if you want the latest and greatest, you'll go to you'll go to Spartan or whatever they end up branding that as. Right. Um and which was kind of interesting because in January, when they uh, announced the technical preview for Windows 10, they did say that Project Spartan would be able to swap out the rendering engines and handle both itself. Yeah. But they've they've kind of changed that uh, in accordance to feedback. Yeah. I didn't really see a, a good reason for that to happen. I mean, I think it's fine to have two different browsers. The The new one, you know, the Spartan browser, like you said, uses that new edge rendering engine. And, uh, yeah, it's going to work for all the public websites. I know that, yeah, like you mentioned, there are developers and I was one of them that, you know, specifically developed for IE six, seven or eight. And, you know, that's, that's going to cause issues. But the thing is, if it's a, if it's that type of app and it's internal only, they're probably going to be an enterprise customer. You're going to have probably a year or more where you have plenty of time to, to update for Spartan. So it's, there's not any kind of, you know, rush for anybody here. Um, you know, they can continue to use the uh, Internet Explorer browser and going forward. I mean, things are just going to get better for everybody, to be honest, because everybody's going to be, you know, going against this core set of standards and you don't have to do any kind of engine swapping or anything like that. Just one rendering engine. Yeah, I I think one thing that people I mean, they always get nervous about change. And Microsoft has been historically very good. I mean, with a couple of bad exceptions, but for the most part, they've been really good about supporting uh, their older technologies. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, whatever they end up doing, what, you know, it will support some version of handling your old internet sites or your old websites or whatever. Yep. Um, so the only thing that I would like to see is I, I know that if you have a site that doesn't render good in one or the other, I'd like there to be some really fast way to switch to the other. So if you're in Spartan and you realize, Oh, ah. this, this doesn't work that you could just, there'd be some sort of ded- dedicated button or UI element that just gets you to IE or from IE back up to Spartan. Yeah, that would be slick. Well, talking to a, a partner the other day, I was saying that um, I don't see why you couldn't, if you were an enterprise as an example, and you had a particular application that had to run on IE 11, what you would end up doing or what you could end up doing is just creating a shortcut on the desktop. Um, it's not perfect, but then you could launch the application from there. But yeah, what you're saying is actually a really good idea. being able to switch back and forth. Okay, what else we got here? Uh, did we talk? Oh, uh, we have a couple notes here to, about testing your sites today. You want to talk about that? Um, this was actually your link. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so you can uh, you can actually test if you want to test with the Spartan engine. As of right now on Windows 10, if you go into Internet Explorer and you um, you type um, what is it um, about. Oh. About colon flags. About colon flags into the address bar. You'll get some options in there, and there's where you can turn on the experimental uh, edge engine. So you're basically using the same engine that Spartan's going to use. 
Now, in the build that comes out that has Spartan, then it will have you know that rendering engine, so it'll it'll be a little bit easier. You won't have to do that. So I I would recommend that people start testing their sites today, or if you have stuff in development, it's always easier to kind of develop along with that browser, so that when you finish and when the browser comes out, that everything is 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 right in line. But you can also go to uh, remote.modern.ie. And right there, you can use uh, basically a remote app session to access a browser remotely. It's pretty slick. So you can test a public website with that if you don't want to install Windows 10 and jump through all that. Anything else you want to mention on that, Carl? No, remote app is really nice. So Yeah, because uh, I know you have a blog post out here. Yep. I'll we'll, we'll uh, that in the show notes. Yeah, I, right before Microsoft had... Um, it's announcement about this. I had been asked at work if I would uh, write a summary explaining what was going on between the two. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I nearly hit it exactly what it was supposed to be. And I just, you know, we tweaked it as soon as we found those couple of, of things, but it, it's really explaining, you know, what is Spartan? Um, wh- what are the changes going to be and, and why? Perfect. We'll have that in the show notes. Yeah. That was a really good post. I, I read through that and I really liked it. It cleared cool. up a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Google will finally improve Chrome scrolling using Microsoft's pointer events. So it finally happened, huh, Carl? <laughs> yes. Uh, last fall, uh, we had talked about how Google kind of dug their heels in the sand saying, we are not going to implement this because we hate Microsoft. Yeah. Well, not quite that last part, but it was essentially it. And um, they, in their forum, they said that due to popular demand and everybody asking for them, um, that they were going to implement them. Um, they were going to try to get one little tweak in because they thought that uh, one of the events fires too often mm-hmm. and they're trying to see what they can change in there. But other than a one little tweak to the standard, they will implement it. Okay. So that leaves Safari as the um, sole browser as of now that said that they are not going to support it because it is in Firefox in some form. Okay. Yeah. And just for, for people who um, want to understand what this is and you can tell me if I'm actually correct on this, Carl, because I, I don't know 100%. But the idea here is to be able to differentiate between like a mouse click or, you know, click on something versus a touch with a finger, right? Well, a- actually, no, it's a, it's the other way around. So uh, when Apple came out with the iPhone, they created touch events, yeah. which is what, what Chrome did. So it, it handles the concept of a touch and a tap and stuff like that. Well, Microsoft looked at that and they said, well, there's there's a few other ways we can interact with it. You can interact with a mouse, with a with a stylus, with your finger. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them have very analogous, you know, ways to do things, but there's a few of them that are a little bit different. So they kind of created an abstraction layer between all of them called pointer events. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to code for a tap or, you know, something with a stylus or a mouse click, um, those will actually, you'll code to the pointer event that's equivalent to it. Okay. So it, it's you. not that it's not that you're going to know which one happened. It's it's that it's a more clear way of you're getting uh, the right information, the information that you're expecting. OK, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, because I've seen I've seen the effects of this whenever it's not built into there. It's that 300 millisecond delay whenever you whenever you click on something or whenever you tap on something on the screen and it's waiting. It's waiting to see if you scroll. Um, so, yeah, this is this is definitely a good thing. Oh, let's see what we got next. Windows 10 developer tooling. Yeah, this one totally caught me off guard today because I did not expect Microsoft to announce that, or at least the an early form of their Windows 10 SDK yeah. uh, ahead of Build. So um, this week they announced Build uh, what, 10,041 mm-hmm. of Windows 10 uh, with a few new features, uh, along with the uh, CTP6 of Visual Studio uh, 2015 and the new SDK. 
Um, they have a, a really nice blog post out there summarizing a lot of the high level stuff. There's a lot of changes to universal apps that just make them easier to use. So you don't have to deal with a shared project and a phone project and a, you know, windows project, you know, you just have a project. It's actually one project is universal across them all. Right. Uh, a lot of things are different. Uh, you have responsive elements, responsive UIs, um, you know, a- along with all of the changes to visual studio itself, um, you know, more application insights and integration, uh, .NET native, a lot of debugging support. Yeah. Roslyn, things like that. Yeah. This is, uh, all of these, this is just, this is awesome. All these things are sort of converging right now on a, on a big release. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And, and it's, I mean, be, you know, be, keep in mind that these are very early look into them, you know, mm-hmm. things can change. Um, but they do have a, a GitHub page just full of examples, actual code for you to get going. You know, if you want something as a reference as well as uh, channel nine videos. So if you just want to look at those and catch up, uh, that's available as well. Excellent. So if you want to get a really early head start, start developing now, you can grab all these tools. Or if you have an app already in like, uh, you know, Windows or Windows Phone 8 and you want to see, you know, what would it take to upgrade it to Windows 10 at this point? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, you can do that as well. Yeah, cool. Okay, let's talk to Lori. How you been, Lori? I'm doing good. Just holding out for spring weather at some point, hoping it'll be around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, it's never coming here. We 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 had a, we had one week of spring. <laughs> it was like sixty degrees here. How cold is it up there? Uh, I don't know what it converts to in Fahrenheit, yeah. but it's minus five Celsius out here. But it feels like minus fourteen. So. That's pretty close to what we're at. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's a long, never-ending winter. Winter, that's for sure. So, a couple reasons that we want to talk to you. Let's first let's talk about voice. Um, so I know that you've you've written some articles on programming for for voice in Windows Phone apps. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, like what what got you into to voice and and you know what makes you think it's important. You know, why should people care? Uh, well, I really liked um, that feature in Windows Phone when I was just playing around and I, I came across the speech APIs, especially when I was doing research for writing the book. I really mm-hmm. learned a lot through that experience and. It amazed me how easy it was to implement speech in a Windows Phone app. It was, uh, you know, a few lines of code and, and really not a lot more to it than that. And then I started thinking about, you know, why why it became important. Why would it be, you know, a useful feature? Because I, I started uh, thinking about designing uh, user group or user conference uh, submissions around that topic. Mm-hmm. And the things that, you know, that come, come to mind when I see people using apps is, you know, uh, people with, you know, accessibility issues um right. people who are you know are, they can't see or they're you know they they have trouble reading what's on the screen so they may not be fully blind but they have a hard time reading what's on the screen it's nice to have uh, yeah that- that's actually really common right i mean there's i see so many you know usually older people they're like oh it's going to happen to you when you get older you know my eyes aren't what they used to be and they you know they just can't see the screen as good as they used to be able to exactly and so to make your your app you know, easy for them to use something that they want to use, you know, adding an extra, you know, button tap for them to be able to just hear that readout instead of them having to squint, struggle, read. Um, another, another good use would be to prevent users from distracted driving. Um, if yeah. anything involved, you know, if any of your apps involve uh, the user to constantly be in touch, you know, texting or through social media, provide those readouts so that if they are driving that, you know, that's an option that they can turn on and then they, they can just be read out to them without them being distracted and, and trying to read while they're driving, which they shouldn't be because it's against the law here. Yeah. 
Um, and then just for ease of use, I personally, I'm always on my phone. I'm always using different apps. And there's some apps that I wish had voice capabilities. You know, one would be a, like when I'm in the kitchen and I'm looking up a recipe, I'd love to be able to just, you know, have that recipe on, you know, on the screen. And then at that point, have it just start reading out the instructions to me. And, and, and but every time I'm using my, you know, dirty fingers that have all food stuff all over it, touching my phone uh, to get to the next uh, step. And it's really frustrating. So there's a lot of apps where you can, you know, if you really think about it, you think, you know, it would be really clever to incorporate um, speech in, in this way. And it would be so much easier for the user. Uh, and the user would want to just keep coming back into your app and using it. No, those are, those are great scenarios. I've, I've run into that into the car and I've also run into that with, um, uh, with cooking. My, yeah, my, my wife has called me in the kitchen. She's like, can you open up you know, log into my tablet, log into Pinterest and like search for this thing. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. So that she would love that for sure. Yeah. And then yeah, and now then, the art. And I think just like one, one other thing is it just would be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It just, I think it adds a level of fun yeah. uh, to your app. So you can, you can really come up with some really uh, funny things to do with it. So. Yeah. Getting into your articles, uh, you know, those were specifically for Windows Phone, and there's several different, uh, you know, sets of technology that cover, you know, the spectrum of voice. And the first one was voice commands. Uh, can you explain what that is and, and, and how they work, what you can do with them? Sure. Um, so voice commands simply allow you to launch your app um, just by speaking the command to, you know, you can say start and then the name of the app. Uh, Windows Phone provides that for free for all apps. So even if you develop an app and you don't care or you haven't taken the time to integrate any kind of um, speech uh, recognition within it, uh, when the user installs your app, they can hit um, the listening button and that's through like they can go into Cortana, hit the listening button and, and tell Cortana, hey, start, you know, whatever the name of your app is. And and she'll do it. She'll say, okay, I'm starting this app and she'll mm-hmm. launch it. Uh, so that's for, that's a feature that's for free, which is really great. Uh, as a Windows phone developer, it's nice to have that. Um, but then you can get more sophisticated with it where you can have your users uh, not only start your app, but actually, I guess, drill down deeper into your app just with a voice command without the app even being running. So instead of telling Cortana just to start your app, you can say, start the app and perform a search for whatever they could be looking for. So then instead of going to the main page of the app, it automatically launches your app into the search page and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and you can ha- you know, code your app to plug in that user's request for a search and have it automatically con- you know, bring it up. Um, so it's just really neat. Um, so that's essentially what voice commands are. It's just kind of initiating your app to launch uh, through voice. So how is that different on the other platforms? Because I know Cortana can do that. You can do that, that deep linking into an application to do a, a specific command. Um, is Siri on, on iOS, is that still locked down to, you know, only like Apple blessed actions? Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> okay. And then uh, Android, I assume, lets you do whatever the heck you want. Oh, well, um, Android's pretty neat because they do have their own, you know, a speech recognizer, which mm-hmm. you can, which you can code. And I'm still kind of experimenting with it to see if I can create a background service that works kind of the, the same way that OK Google does. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, people that have Android phones and they can say, OK, Google and uh, follow it with a command and it just automatically will, you know, perform that command if they want to search or launch an app or whatever that it is that they're doing. Yeah, And Windows Phone recently got that as well. Yeah. So um so I want to experiment to see if I can create my own background service that will listen for a command and, and, and play with it. So that's still in the works of me just kind of playing around because uh, I have been more focused on Windows Phone. 
Um, but I, I really want to see the potential where I can leverage that in, in Xamarin more so for the iOS and, and Android. But yeah, uh, iOS uh, voice commands not not going to happen. Um, speech recognition uh, again, again, that's a tough one because it's it, there's not a library ready readily available through Xamarin. Um, you have to use like a third party library. Uh, I believe uh, there was like a Dragon Nuance uh, SDK out there. Uh, there's like a MonoTouch Open Ears project, which is a binding that kind of you can use within your Xamarin iOS projects, but I'm not sure how good that works because mm -hmm. um, it claims to be offline, which concerns me because if it's offline, if the Open Ears project is offline speech recognition, to me that tells me it's very limited in what commands uh, it recognizes. So. Yeah, we need to, I think we need to break this down a little bit because we're, yeah, we're, we're talking about a lot of different things here. So th the first thing that I want to understand, there's, there's two core things, but the first thing I want to understand is, is the, the, yeah, the voice processing itself, like you mentioned, local versus cloud. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, how, how that typically works. And then also, you know, we mentioned like the Hey Cortana feature, like I, I'm, I'm curious if you have any more insight into this, because I've always suspected, I think the way that's working is that the the chip itself, it, there's a there's a chip in there that's listening for you to say, hey, Cortana, and whenever you activate it, then whatever you say next is is actually getting sent up to the cloud or to the application. Um, so any insight you can provide into that? Um, I'm not sure exactly how the, they're triggering it. And it's, it is a really cool feature. And I was really happy yeah. to see that in the in the Windows 10 preview. Um, but as far as processing, it does uh, get sent. What you speak into the phone, or you know, now Windows 10, if you downloaded the Windows 10 preview because it's available there, uh, mm -hmm. what you're speaking, it, it does get uh, processed in the cloud. Um, right, and which presumably is is a better well, in some ways, is a better place to process it, right? Because it's uh, presumably more accurate because you have a lot more you know compute power there, right? Yeah. And so you will find that if you actually uh, forcibly turn off any kind of network connection on your phone and you try to conduct any kind of speech recognition, it's going to fail automatically. Um, so it will just tell you it can't connect to the network. Uh, try okay. again. So later. that's the that's the downside. Yeah. With, with with the exception of the predefined voice commands on Windows Phone, correct? I think with the start, yeah, the, the simple start command, yeah, you're you're good. I think it's it's fine. Um, it's when you actually have. Uh, you know, the other commands within your app that are going to be, uh, that are not going to be processed because it's going to try to connect. That's the first thing it's going to do. So, so, so that's when you actually start getting into that kind of speech recognizer within your app. That's after the voice command thing. Yeah. Um, I would be careful though. Cause I think even through Cortana, um, if you're going to request any kind of information there, I mean, she does require the cloud as well. So even if you're not in your app and you're in the Cortana search, um, you're definitely going to still need a network connection. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's essentially, mm -hmm. I, I guess with Cortana, whether you're typing it or saying it, you're still going to need that network connection because <laughs> she goes right. off to the cloud to get that information. So, right. And then, so the other big thing that I wanted to understand, and I think Carl's talked about this before, but, um, I've seen where you can, re you know, I, I kind of want to understand what the, the code looks like in a couple different scenarios. I've seen the scenario where you give it predefined options. So you know, it's, it's kind of like the automated telephone systems where you call in and you, it says like, you know, do you want me to get somebody? And you say like, yes or no. And that, that recognition in my experience is like 99.99% accurate because in the, in the code, what you're doing is you're saying, here are the only two things I expect them to say. If they say anything else, you know, it, it either has to be classified as yes or no. Um, or you can have like a list of options or whatever. 
And then there's the, the other way of doing it where it's like free form. So I'm curious what most of that looks like today. Like if you're doing something with Cortana, are you still sort of explaining what the response is going to look like or what, just what does that look like? Well, from your Windows phone app, you still have to use the speech API. Um, mm-hmm. And that's essentially, I think, the same API that Cortana is built on, but you don't have direct access to Cortana. So you will still have to use the speech API. You will still have to um, handle how, you know, what you're going to do with that response. You can set up, a, you know, a definition file which um, where you can say you're expecting freeform dictation, and that's perfectly okay. fine. Um, and, or, or you can set up a list of predefined items. And uh, that list of items can even have, you know, like that, that the responses can have a list of predefined items as well. So it's, so if you're in a game and you can say like start level X and you can have, you know, levels one, you know, items one through 10 as those levels defined. So you only have to define the, the command to start the level once. And then that X parameter that you have in your command will tie into your items list of levels one through 10. And so if they say 11, you know, level 11 or level 12, then you're like, that level doesn't exist and you can handle that in your code. Perfect. Um, With Freeform, I used that as a demo in my uh, talk at uh, that conference in Wisconsin. I had a little Dear Diary app and I essentially, you know, showed uh, the audience how not only to launch, you know, the app from you know, the, uh, from a voice command, but just to start speaking to it, you know, say start diary and then just start pouring your heart out before the app even starts. And so then when the app loads, it automatically like takes you into the add a new diary entry page and pops in that free form dictation right into a nice big text field. Um, so uh, that was kind of a, a, a basic example of how I, I thought to use free form dictation, but you, you could use it for anything, anything you can come up with. That's pretty cool. And then just a side note on, on, you know, like we mentioned on, on Google, you can say, uh, Hey Google on windows phone, you can say, Hey Cortana. And those both work pretty good on iOS. You actually, it does support Hey Siri, but you have to have the phone plugged in. And that's one of the reasons what to, why I suspect that I suspect they don't have that chip that I was talking about. So it's not, it's not listening. And basically when it's plugged in, it's able to sit there and do audio processing of pretty much everything that you say. Cause I know a lot of people are always paranoid about, um, you know, like TVs, I think it's Samsung that says that they, they like own everything that you say around your TV. Mm-hmm. I think it's in like their terms of service. Yeah. Uh, but the reality is, I, you know, and I don't know how they're doing it because they're plugged in. So maybe it, it doesn't work the same, but I know on the phones, you know, they're really not listening. At least that's my understanding. They're not listening until they get activated. All right. Uh, you have a lot of, you know, Xamarin experience as well as voice experience. Is there, you know, a way to do some of this voice programming through Xamarin or are we kind of going going native for each one yet for these? Um, well, like I said, Xamarin provides um, somewhat a call through, you know, API, API wrapper in, in C Sharp for um, iOS for text to speech and in Android for, for um, speech as well. Um, but uh, as far as speech recognition itself for iOS, it's not available. Um, Again, you'd have to use a third-party library or create your own binding to an iOS library out there. Um, and with uh, with Android, it's it's all already in there. Um, it's just a matter of you know leveraging it through there through the Android libraries. Um, you could create you know your kind of your own uh, reusable class that's like platform independent. You know, spec it out as a, you know just create an interface and then pass in an implementation but you would have to definitely handle the implementation of speech um, on each of the platforms separately for now 
Yeah, now, it sounds like they all sort of handle these things differently. So I, I'm not quite sure yeah, how much you, you know code you could share. No. Because if you write it to listen to Cortana, then you're not really going to get it reused. No. And to be honest, like on on now with Windows 10, um, I I assume Google does this. iOS does it where you have on the keyboard. Now you have a little microphone button anyway. So if you really need, you know, like for your diary app, once you're in the app itself, I mean, you could just have people use that button, right? Yeah. To but, do the dictation. But no, yeah, you're, you're not going to have uh, any code that's reusable. You you can just create a blank, you know, like, like I said, a blanket interface that's just, you know, has your basic commands. And within your portable class libraries, you can call the commands off your viewer interface, but you still have to pass in a platform specific implementation into your PCL that mm-hmm. inherits from that interface. And, you know, and you have your specific platform specific code, you know, in those methods that are actually doing the work. Um, so, so that's, that's the way that you could do it. I mean, and James uh, from Xamarin, I don't know if you guys are familiar, you know, with uh, all of his presentations and all of the, the code. Um, I was just working with him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's amazing. And he has mm-hmm. so many good examples on his GitHub and that he blogs about. And he actually has a text-to-speech plugin, uh, which is a really good example of, you know, that exact type of, um, uh, that kind of implementation. Um, so I definitely recommend uh, downloading it, taking a look through the code. Uh, it is just the text-to-speech portion. It's not the speech recognition portion. I think some people get confused and expect um, the speech recognition. So you sometimes you'll see comments in mm-hmm. you know different forums or whatever asking for it. Um, but but it is a really good example, and and, and it, it's uh, I, I really love uh, that he provides that kind of stuff for the, for the public. Uh, he always hits on the stuff that's the most popular. Um, and, and just kind of makes it easy for us developers to just pick it up, you know, follow his pattern, see what he's doing and, and, and learn how, how to architect, uh, a feature like that in your own application. Yeah. He's a, he's a machine. I, I talked to him just a few weeks ago. I spent a couple of days with him actually. And, uh, he agreed to, he's going to come on a future show. I don't know when he's going to get scheduled on, but he will be on the podcast at some point. That's awesome. Yep. Okay, so the other thing, whenever whenever we were talking to you uh, before the show, we were we were talking about women in tech, and it was something that you were interested in talking about. And you know, it's definitely been top of mind for me. I have a I have a three year old daughter, and you know, the things that I'm reading out there, you know, I I just want to make sure that that our industry is as appealing to her as possible. Like I I if she's at all interested in technology, I I don't want any barriers in her way. Um, so I guess my my big question is, you know, what what can we do today to to help her? Uh, that's a good question, and I think start as young as possible of just introducing her to the to the concept and the fact that this is an industry that's open to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really good book out there called uh, Rosie Revere Engineer. Uh, it's a children's book, and okay. I recommend that everybody buy it for not just their young daughters, but for their sons as well, because boys have to also get used to the fact that, uh, you know, engineers, you know, women in tech, it, it, they're there, you know, it's not just a boys field. Um, it's, it's a, you know, it's kind of, it's universal. Anybody can, can get interested in it, you know, create, fail, try again. And, and that's the best part about it. And I think that women are, you know, Women aren't introduced to it early enough. I, I wasn't introduced to it until I was in grade six. I happened mm-hmm. to just fall in love with it. Um, but a lot of girls by that age are already disinterested and discouraged. Uh, I think starting younger, you know, definitely at, you know, if you're reading stories to her, read stories with, you know, with female heroes in it that have that theme of, you know, they're architects, they're creators, they, they are, you know, they're, they're innovating and building. Um, 
definitely get them involved in, you know, kids programming camps, I'd say as young as five or six, I think any I think waiting late till uh, till they're maybe eight or 10 might be too late. Uh, I think five or six year olds, you know, you can, you know, that'd be a great you know, activity for you to, to do with your daughter, you know, mm-hmm. open up scratch, get her, you know, walk through it with her, ha- you know, just, you would be doing it with her hands on until, you know, she learns and right. hour of code also, they provide some great, um, some great code, uh, projects that you can download and, and, you know, take into the schools or, you know, use with your, with your own children, um, to learn those concepts. So I really, um, I really recommend starting as early as you possibly can. Don't think that, you know, kind of staving it off until they're in grade five or six is a good idea. Cause, uh, by that point, uh, that's when they start feeling that math and science isn't as interesting or really isn't, it's a, it's a boy's thing. And, and the boys start feeling that way too. And you see it early on. I mean, both of my children are adults now, uh, but when they were in school, I, I definitely noticed a change uh, come grade four, grade five, and it, that was the point of no return. So you might want to try and get her interested or at least introduce her to the concepts early and let her make up her mind after, after yeah. that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I, I think I was living in a bubble like in high school because I was in the I was in an advanced math program and it was all girls. It was like me and like one other guy. It was it was all girls. So I actually had the the opposite perception. Oh wow. Which, which is probably a good thing. So so what can we do? You know, can, is there is there are there things that Carl and I can do today to to change, you know, the industry itself so that it's um, you know, sort of ready for her when she gets older? Um well, that's a big question. And it's, you know, I think just being aware of the fact that it may not be female friendly right now, and you really want to change that environment for yeah. for the future generation is wonderful. Um, that's, that's the first step right there. You've already, you've already taken that. Um, so you're already aware of the fact that, you know, women, they, they do feel out of place in this, in this, in this industry. And, and how do you make them feel more welcoming? And every scenario is different, right? It could just be something as simple as including them in a conversation if you're all together in a lunchroom and uh, the boys seem to be talking and she's kind of off in the corner or maybe ha- backing her up if, you know, you see someone's kind of not speaking to her quite right and you might want to say, you know, hey, that's that's not the right approach and, and kind of maybe be her supporter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, helping the women that are out there in the, in the industry today to make sure that they feel their voices are heard um, and that they're not kind of being just pushed to the corner is, is great. Um, I find that bigger organizations are really, really good about that. Uh, I've worked in various um, companies from startups to large organizations. And I found startups and small companies were the most intimidating uh, because you don't have a big female presence there. It's, it's very rare if, you, if there was, at least in, in this industry. Um, and the large organizations already have all that stuff in place with human resources and all the programs and mentoring that's available. Um, and then the mid-sized organizations, it's hit or miss. Um, but I was very fortunate that a lot of the people that I've worked with uh, had my back and I had their back. So, you know, if somebody kind of crossed a line or said something that wasn't quite right, I had people that were there that would say something in turn as well. It wasn't just a matter of me speaking up for myself um, because some women just don't, you know, they're worried. Are they going to lose their jobs? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, should they say something if, you know, if their manager, you know, is really kind of giving them different treatment, that's, that's not right. Um, Things like that. So uh, I I just, I I think it's, 
it's one step at a time and one action at a time. Um, as well as like, you can also just be involved in, you know, the kind of groups that are out there to get kids interested in coding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the mindsets form, right? And you'll see that in those kids coding camps or, you know, in, even in schools, sometimes there always be that boys versus girls. And if you can just kind of be like, hey, it's not a boys versus girls thing. This is like, we're all working on this together and, and kind of change that persona. Because sometimes that boys versus girls f mentality at that age follows people through uh, and into their into their adulthood. So right. maybe educating the kids, you know, during those workshops, if you see that kind of uh, thought process going on, be like, no, 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 this is like, we're all a team, we're all the same. And, uh, you know, we're all here to work on the same thing together and uh, kind of reinforcing those kind of ideas. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. yeah. And you, you mentioned a lot about, you know, getting young kids interested in getting them hooked and, and staying hooked. But, you know, you know, I look at them, you know, getting your first job, you know, a lot of hiring managers, you know, they just want to hire the best person for the job. Um, you know, how do we encourage women from from getting that interest to developing the kind of can, you know, the skill set to become the candidates that businesses are looking for? Um, well, I think that there's um, I, I think women don't have to worry about um, feeling like they have to um do anything extra to be that good candidate. You know, women are very, uh, you know, have the same capabilities as, as, the, as the men do. Uh, you know, they can go into an interview and represent themselves pretty strong. I've been on uh, both ends of the spectrum where I've, you know, been in the interviews, but I've, for looking for a job, but I've also done, been in the interview to hire someone else for the job. Uh, and, my, and the thing that I found was I just didn't have the resumes coming in from female applicants. They just weren't there. Uh, it was a very strong male representation applying and I don't know why that is. And that's kind of something that it's just, um, you know, are they, are they losing, you know, ground in, in university or college and then just giving up or are, are those just not the roles they're looking for? I've also been in companies where women who've been in, um, who have tech degrees, you know, in computer science, the, they prefer to seem to go into QA or business analysts or project management, anything that they feel has more communication, collaboration, because there's a perception that developers are, you know, working on their own and they're, you know, heads down, but that's not, that's not the case at all. And uh, so I think a lot of women automatically go towards the, 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 the jobs where they think it's, there's more openness and collaboration, um, but they haven't been introduced to the fact that in development, that's all it is. It's constant communication, collaboration, is you're constantly, you know, right. Uh, you're not working heads down. It's not the, the, in the, in the old days where everyone, you know, you're just like that, that crazy programmer that's in the corner by himself and lights off and, you know, nobody goes and talks to him and it's not like that at all anymore. Uh, yeah, all the teams that I've been on it, we've been, you know, they've been really close knit. Yep. And it's more open spaces now instead of cubicles, which yep. I really like. I really prefer that environment. Um, so, so for me, it's just like, you know, where are they? Why aren't they submitting their, um, names into those kind of uh, roles. Um, and as a woman in technology, putting my name out there, I've never had a problem getting interviews. I've never had a problem getting jobs. And I've never found that I was hired because I was a woman. I've, I, I, I felt like I was hired because I passed their technical um, interview process. I passed the, the social skills uh, interview process. Uh, and 
so I never came onto a team feeling like I was there because I was the token. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and I wasn't. Well, that would, yeah, that would, that would feel terrible. Yeah. And I, I've never been in a situation where I felt like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been very fortunate to have those kind of experiences that were, you know, they're good experiences. Um, I've also been smart enough to recognize in interviews where, com- where companies were not um, providing the right culture for me. Um, or, you know, if, if I felt like it just, you know, there was something not quite right, I would let my instincts win over and just, uh, you know, walk away from that kind of opportunity. Um, so, I mean, it's just a matter of, I just feel like the women just need to, to kind of explore that area in tech more than the other, the other fields that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that's where their passion and their interest lies. And like I said, as when I was receiving the bulk of the resumes for, for, jobs I was uh, having to play, um, find candidates for, it was very difficult because I, I did not have any women come through to even call in for an interview. So, right. yeah. So are there any, you know, what, what are the tech groups that are out there that are trying to make a difference for women and what are they trying to do? There are a ton. <laughs> um, everyone, I, I, I mean, I think this has just been really at the forefront the last few years, I've noticed a mm-hmm. boom in women in tech groups uh, just springing up all over the place. Um, the big one right now that a lot of people uh, should know about is uh, Cheryl Sandberg's Lean In uh, group. Uh, and that just was uh, spawned as a result of her the popularity of her Lean In, her lean in book. Um, and essentially Lean In is this movement of, you know, you can, you know, these networking circles in whatever community of women that can get together in a safe environment and really learn and grow from each other. Um, Waterloo has one. There's tons of them all over the U.S. Um, I know the, the Waterloo one just started recently. It's not, it's, it just uh, was a, a fresh one that came into the existence. But if there isn't one in your area or if there's women in your area that are like, well, we want to go to something like that, but it's not there, they can always start their own. And they can be that female role model in, in your community uh, to start that conversation. Because I find that as soon as they, there is an available avenue for women to get together, they will, they will go there. Those, those groups are so popular. Um, another one is Girls Who Code for, for you know, girls in school. You know, it targets 6th to 12th graders. And like I said, I still think it would be nice to see them target a little younger and um, but I'm sure if younger girls uh, uh, went to the workshops or camps that they did, I don't think they would turn them away, to be honest. Um, and those are all over the U.S. as well. Again, if there isn't one in your area, I highly recommend taking the initiative and starting one um, because th- they can m- make a real difference in, in a young woman's life. You know, it, it means, it, you know, and getting them interested in something that... Um, that they've always kind of thought about, but didn't have an avenue to explore or grow or learn in. Um, Because what's available in schools right now is just isn't enough. Um, No, not, (laughs) not at all. I've talked about this on the show before, but my, my kids, their, their um, computer lab, I, I I went to the the school and I said, Hey, I'd like to teach these kids how to program. And they're like, well, we don't have a computer lab What? Uh, because the machines, they were just ancient and they just threw them away. So I, I, I bought them, uh, computers now, and now I'm going to be able to go in and do that. And I'm going to do it in, in groups and it's, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not excluding any particular, um, grade. I think it's starting at like third grade. That's um, awesome. and, and that was just based on what they, I think it's like third and fourth are together. And then fifth and sixth or there's three different groups, then maybe seventh and eighth. 
So I'm going to start going in there on a, on a regular basis. And that'll just be, you know, based on the class and trying to get them interested in it. That's great. And that's perfect example of, you know, what we can do, like one person at a time, right? One person can affect so many different uh, lives. You just don't realize. Because the schools aren't handling it. I mean, they're, like I said, they had no computers. And even if they have the computers, I mean, they don't, they just don't really, you know, my kids go to, they go to a private school, but even in in the public school, it wasn't really any different. You know, whenever I was a kid, it wasn't, there was, uh, you know, there was really no nurturing there or any kind of help. Um, so yeah, anything we can do to, to help that in general is, is a great thing. Yep. And, and oh, keep going. sorry. Um, yeah, it's, I, I just, I highly recommend just doing it like, you know, searching online for those kind of networks. Um, uh, and if they're not in your area, you know, take one of the, the, the main organizations like lean in or girls who code and, and spur up, spawn your own in your area. Uh, I think that it was, it's a very valuable, um, means for women to get together. Um, I know in, in, in our area in Canada, I don't know if you have it in the United States, but there's a ladies learning code. Um, and that's for women of, you know, from any walk of life to just take any of their workshops or, you know, go to their hackathons and learn about coding. You know, they have, they don't have to have any coding skills or even any background in computer science because anybody can learn to code. And then they also um, spawned off a girls learning code and a kids learning code for both boys and girls as a result of the popularity of those, those camps. So, so. this is cool. I'm definitely checking these out because I want to share these with, uh, with the students because I, I want to make it clear that it's, you know, it's not a, it's not a boy's game. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So not even a half hour before we started recording, I got a, an email invitation. There's a new uh, women in technology group that's starting up in our area. Now, as a as a guy, should I be you know threatened to walk in and join them? I mean, you know what you know. I'll, I can see that a lot of you know males in our field would see something like that and feel uncomfortable even uh, you know approaching a group like that. Definitely, you should attend. You should definitely attend to show support. And I definitely recommend reaching out to the coordinator, whoever's organizing the group, and ask um, that person. You know you know, is it okay if I come? Um, are the topics, you know, closed off? I think, um, I think with lean in, it's, uh, it's more, um, geared to, to, uh, women professionals. And so you have to join and explain what your background is before you get accepted in there. And I think mm-hmm. that might be a little bit touchy. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to check it out this weekend because our first, uh, the one in Waterloo is running on Saturday afternoon. So I'm going to check that out and see what kind of vibe it is there and ask about that, that, you know, what is it like if, can a guy come and, and understand what he needs to do to support women in tech? Because I think that men will learn from attending those groups more than women would, you know, they would get a lot of benefit in understanding, um, you know, where we're coming from and what kind of challenges we face. Uh, but also even for like the ladies learning code, like any kind of group that does a hackathon or workshops, I think men are valuable in those, in those avenues because you have male mentors, you have males, you know, the running the various classes as well. It's not just closed off to women. Um, so Heather Payne has done a really good job with her ladies learning code that you'll notice that she does have both male and female mentors. So the speaker can be either, or, um, that's running the workshop or helping with the workshops. Um, and different groups uh, where they just kind of come together to discuss women in tech. I know here there's Girl Geeks Dinner. Um, they love having, you know, guys come on, you know, come come down, talk to the girl, um, talk to the ladies that are there, or even just 
sit there and listen. Um, because a lot of it is just kind of just women just knowing that there's other women out there. It's a lot of these sessions just talk about what's coming up in tech or what's a different thing that's cool in tech. And that's really all it's about. But it's, you, you just, it's just nice to know that you're going to go and the majority of the people in the room are going to be women. Uh, but we're not opposed to having, you know, guys go if they're interested in the topic and, and like the group. That's, that's awesome. Do you want to talk any more about, you know, mentoring, uh, you know, young women at an early age? I know you said definitely get them when they're, when they're young. Uh, are there any other thoughts on that? I think with, uh, just with women in general, it, it doesn't matter what the age, there's always a woman that needs, um, kind of someone that they can go to, uh, whether it's a mentor or a support system or, um, you know, someone that they, that they can trust. I think there's a lot of women in technology or that have been in technology that have left the field and because maybe they've had really bad experiences. I know a few of them that have, I've worked with some women that actually just walked away from it. Um, and I really feel like if these kind of groups were out there at that point in time, uh, they wouldn't have left so quickly. Um, mm -hmm. they would, they would, you know, it would kind of be an encouraging thing to keep them in there and keep them motivated. And, and give them the support on how to handle certain situations. But I feel like there's so many really competent women out there that have likely walked away from this field uh, due to bad experiences. And I'd like to see them come back. And if, and if they don't want to come back into tech, come back into those women's support groups or those girls support, you know, learning groups and, and be a role model for another young woman out there. And, and you know, you, they might find that passion again in the field that they lost. Um, so to me, that's, I, th I find that that's an important, um, thing that we need to gain back is any women that, that kind of walked away, you know, these smart, competent women who are educated and, and then left the field, uh, because they felt they weren't supported when right now there's an abundance of support out there, um, for them to come back into. So that, that's kind of what I'm hoping to see more of. Um, any other comments on either voice or women in tech? Not for me. How about you guys? We see way too many headlines that are really negative about mm -hmm. what's going on. And I like covering the the positive side of it, like how we can make a difference. And, um, and then all of the great things that are happening, you know, like the groups that are, um, that are out there as you were naming these different groups, I was searching for all of them. And unfortunately, Carl and I live in, in kind of a desolate area where there's <laughs> not, there's not a lot. So I, I also talked to you, Carl, because you said you got that email, but I, I haven't, yeah. all these groups that she was mentioning, I was looking, the closest stuff is in, in Milwaukee and Madison. But um, in any case, I, I definitely want to, uh, you know, I want to figure out how I can help. And and that's why I think it was, it was good having a real positive discussion around this. And I think another great thing too is, I mean, this isn't, you know, the advice that you gave was stuff that just applies to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, male or female if you're a minority or if you're not, I mean, just it's about getting support and, you know, making our industry as a whole a little bit more inclusive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, for people who don't know, I'm a consultant and I was just on a client interview or one of the people sa said that uh, or the interviewer said that he's heard parents just steer people away from computer science in general just because they felt that it wasn't inclusive enough or that, you know, uh, you know, other misconceptions even outside of that. Um, which is just sad because that's, to me, I haven't seen those things. I do know that they have happened in the past and I do know that our industry is, is getting better, but we, we need to get that word out as well. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. We all live in our own little bubbles, right? You know, there's, there's bubbles everywhere where yeah. the, 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 you know, things are different by area and we don't, we don't always see 
you know, things from a different perspective. Yeah. And I've, I've been in this industry for 18 years and it has changed by leaps and bounds in, in the 18 years. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a lot of good, good things, uh, are coming and, and have happened that I see and I love and I'm holding on to. Uh, I get excited whenever I see, um, you know, a girl that's, you know, getting into it for the, you know, for the first time. And she's, you know, I, I'll, I'll go to the college to speak to the students there about our user group or, you know, um, I'll see, you know, students coming into our user group meeting. And whenever I see a woman or a girl, I'm just like, you know, just give them that extra little, yeah, I'm glad you're here. Like, here here's some information of some mm-hmm. groups in this area that are going to help mm-hmm. you if you really want it. So, uh, and just kind of, I just make a point to give them that information because I don't want them to not know about it and then feel like, feel isolated. And I, yeah. I have noticed an increase in women attending my user groups ever since I took it over. Um, so it was a user group I used to attend. And then when, um, the, the founder decided he, he didn't want to, to run with it anymore, just asked me to take it over. And I did, and I have seen a difference in more women coming out just, just because it, I think they feel like there's a connection there. They, they have somebody they can relate to. So it's nice. Very cool. Okay, let's move on to the Azure pick of the week. So this was a big announcement this week, the Azure app service. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, Carl, but it is pretty cool. So some, some things got rebranded, some things got added. So, um, you know, it's a little tricky sort of sorting everything out depending on what you use today. But basically, if you were running an, a website in Azure, um, you know, an actual website, not a, not a PaaS service, uh, that got renamed basically to web apps. And I think there were, uh, there's basically no changes on that other than naming change. There might be a couple additional features, but for the most part, that is mostly a name change. Uh, the mobile services got renamed to mobile apps. And then there's this new concept of logic apps. And this is really cool. And I still, I haven't gotten a chance to play around with this yet, but I'm really excited about this one. So this is for basically combining different services. So you can do things like, um, set up a schedule so that every hour you could go out and search for certain tweets and then, you know, you could hook in Twilio and have that call your phone. Basically all of these different services turn into building blocks so that you can, you know, drag those onto the surface and then configure how they work, you know, whenever they get triggered, what they should do, that kind of thing. So you can piece these things together to do uh, uh, pretty cool orchestrations. And there's connectors in here for, I'm not even going to go, I'm just going to look through the list and kind of talk about the big ones. There's like Box, Dropbox, uh, OneDrive, Azure Media Services, SharePoint, SQL Server, Office. Um, There's different protocols in here like HTTP and HTTPS, uh, Salesforce, uh, let's see here, Azure Service Bus, Twilio, Twitter. Uh, What else we got in here? There's things like uh, JSON encoding, uh, Azure Web Jobs, Yammer things like that. So it's got a lot of pieces already out of the box. And I assume that over time too, this is going to get expanded. So you can do these um, cool orchestrations. And then there's also this new concept of an API app so that you can basically deploy a web API application into Azure, and then you can publish it. And, uh, and there's some neat functionality around that as well. So I recommend checking that out. So again, there's web apps, mobile apps, logic apps, and API apps, lots and lots of apps. So it's the Azure app service. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, Carl, what do we got for the app of the week? The app of the week is an app called Telescope. Um, what, what I really liked about this app is yesterday, Twitter announced uh, some uh, a video app of theirs called Periscope. Mm-hmm. And within a day, uh, these, uh, I don't know if it's a group of people or whatever, 
but uh, or a single developer, but they hacked together at least a, a read-only version of uh, the Periscope app. And they said they're going to keep uh, plugging away, adding features until it's up to uh, speed with the Twitter's first-party app. But the, the per- Twitter's Periscope app is on iOS only, and they said Android's on the way. So as of right now, Windows Phone already at least has a third-party app that is ahead of android that is, so, that is crazy so did they they didn't have any kind of early access right so they literally started when uh, they first heard about it yep uh, for, from what i've heard that um you know it, it it is very early for the app yeah but it it's only um less than a day put in they got something working <laughs> enough to publish and put out in one day well it sounds like a huge endorsement for the platform too yeah that's pretty so, cool. well we should probably explain what periscope is then you know, there's probably people listening like, what the heck is Periscope? Um, I, I don't exactly know <laughs> no, the detail. No, I, I don't know. No, um, it, it is a form of video service where you can um, do live video mm-hmm. and get it out, the information out that, hey, I'm doing video and have other people come right away and watch you um, or, or subscribe so that when uh you're doing it. You have people watching you. Um, there was a third party service that Twitter shut down. That was doing this. That was going to be a direct meerkat, right? Meerkat. That's it. Thanks. Yeah. That seemed really timely too. Um, yeah. That it's like meerkat started getting popular and then this came out. Yeah. So, um, as of now, we at least have a, a a way for you as a viewer to, uh, check out somebody's periscope. Okay. Yeah. So you go into there and you say broadcast now, what are you seeing now? ms dev show so i are you yeah i think uh there we go uh start broadcast yeah so you just put the uh and actually i'm using the the wrong camera of course so you're doing a oh, live broad, broadcast for us yeah, right now there you go awesome <laughs> of course they can't hear us well they can only hear me that's interesting i don't know i don't know if a tweet went out or anything like that but anyway yeah so it's i i'm not sure what i would use this for uh, but it's kind of a, it's kind of neat that we, we live in this area now where you can just push the button and start publishing just like that. So I'm going to stop my broadcast. I'm sure, I'm sure there's like 2000 people watching, but, uh, sorry guys, there we go. we're off the air. I had four viewers. Wow. <laughs> You're famous. <laughs> what the heck? That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. They're probably like, what is going on? Although that's pretty much all the periscopes that I've seen. Anyway, okay, so we have a card game of the week, and you said before the show that you've you've never listened to the show, so yeah, I'm that's, sorry. No, that's how we get new <laughs> listeners is we uh, we interview them one at a time to to you know get them to listen to the show. <laughs> so what are we on? We're episode forty eight, right? So we got forty eight oh, listeners now. I have a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> yeah, you do. No, just don't listen like the first five episodes. Maybe make it ten now. <laughs> They're terrible. Okay, uh, pick a number between one and four. Three. Three. Okay. Would you rather have a working TV put on your forehead or have a working telephone put on your back? What? What kind of <laughs> question is this? <laughs> there it is. I can't show number four because Carl might pick four. Oh, I'm showing you the I'd card. I'd say uh, working telephone on my back because it's lighter. TV's too heavy. <laughs> yeah. Is it like a, you know, is it like the old rotary phone or is that, it like a. No, I was thinking the smartphone. As a smartphone. Rotary phone. Those things were like 20 pounds. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, interesting. That's an interesting question. Okay, Carl, what number are you picking? I'll take number one. Number one. Would you rather ride in a tight, small closed box for one for a one day plane flight? Well, that sounds like economy. <laughs> or, 
<laughs> or ride with pigs in the back of a truck for a two-day trip. Uh, just with the safety concerns for flying in a potentially uncompressed space, I don't know. I, I, I'd do the pigs one. Yeah, I would definitely pick yeah, the pigs. Good oh, that'd be horrible. Too. That'd be horrible for a one-day plane flight. It'd be terrible. Ugh, that's freaking me out, man. You picked, there, there was only one answer to that one. <laughs> Okay, so Lori, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and the great stuff you're working on? Well, they can follow me on Twitter at Lori B. Lalonde or uh, my blog, Geeks. Uh, what is it? Oh, man. How, does I, <laughs> how am I having a brain I, I got it. I can help you. Geekswithblogs.net slash Lori Lalonde. Yes, that's the name. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> um, Perfect. Yeah, so those are the those are the two main spots. Uh, I I. Sometimes I'll submit some blog posts to to the Microsoft Canadian Dev Connection blog, but I usually will cross post back on, on my own blog. So then I'll mention it and kind of provide a link from there. So either which way, that's how you can find me. Okay, perfect. Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer or on WPDevGuy.com. Perfect. And you can find me at YTechie.com or at Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. Lori, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I know... When we talked to you ahead of time, you sent us like a list of topics that uh, that you were interested in talking about. So I guess I would say feel free to reach out to us anytime you want to come on the show. We'd love to have you back. Oh, really? You like talking to me that much? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. (laughs) Always welcome to come back. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 